I think the thing I didn't know then, but I know now is I really enjoy the experimentation process, just trying a bunch of different things because you never know what's going to work. Today's guest is Mish Priest, who is a multi-hyphenate creator. Mish has had seven careers. She's been an art teacher, a financial advisor, owned an insurance brokerage, and has had various roles in technology, banking, pharma, and artificial intelligence. She's lived abroad moving six times to four different countries in 10 years. She's currently exploring her next step in content and course creation, digital illustration, micro-coaching, and as a founder for Hire. Her micro-coaching program is called Unstuck in 15, where she helps people get clarity in making a decision based on three questions in 15 minutes. Currently, she's training for a marathon. She's looking to spread kindness and create possibility in everything she does. Welcome to the MeBet Mish. Oh, thank you so much, Erica, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Wow, you have quite an interesting resume and some, I'm sure, some wonderful stories to share. So tell us, what was your first MeBet? Like, where did it all start for you? I think, um, well, it was in a sense a failed bet, but I think the first time where I thought I had an idea and I wanted to go all in on it was um, I was a stay-at-home mom for 11 years and I kept having business ideas and my ex who was not very entrepreneurial was never really interested in them. And then I had one where I wanted to create a foreign language after-school program for children that was based on the Kumon math and reading. And I, I just really wanted my children to be bilingual because I'm half Korean and half American, which is um, yeah, a mix of everything European. And I just felt, I guess, disadvantaged that I wasn't able to communicate with my mom in her language and things like that. So I wanted that for my children. And uh, yeah, I found an advisor, an investor. I was interviewing people. And then um, my ex said something like, what do you think of moving to Canada? And I was like, no, what do you mean? I'm two weeks away from incorporating. I've done all this work. I spent you know, six months. I think at the time we didn't have the internet as we have it today. So I went to the library to research how to create a business plan. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up moving to Canada and I left that idea behind. But that was my first where I just felt felt really compelled to bet on me. Were you able to actually circle back to that at some point? Or is that something that's still kind of in the back of your mind? Or, or where is that? I thought about uh, doing something similar in Canada. And this was back in 2000, maybe 2006 or so. And so the internet was starting to emerge. And I thought about having some type of digital version of it. But I just, I think I got a bit gun shy because I put a lot of myself into it just to have it not happen. So I, I didn't want to go through that again. 
Got it. That's understandable. Where did you go from there? That didn't take off the way you wanted to. What happened next? What was the next time where you said, I think I'm going to give this a shot, I think. Yeah. So with being a stay-at-home mom and I wanted to go to work when my youngest was in school full-time, I would interview and people would say, I really like you. You just don't have professional experience. Even though I had helped do some fundraising for my kids' schools, I helped my friends' businesses with sales and things like that. And so um, somebody reached out to me and said, if you can pass this test and take this three-week course, then you could be a financial advisor. So I didn't know anything about financial advising. <laughs> uh, and so I thought, okay, whatever, I'm I'm good at taking tests, so I'll, I'll do this. Uh, so yeah, then three weeks later, I was a financial advisor, which I, I don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> if I recommend that, but I, I just really put forth full effort in learning how to do it and, mm -hmm. uh, and ended up being a financial advisor for two years. And then I branched out from there to start my own insurance brokerage. Is there anything that you learned about yourself during that process, which then led you to your next step? Yes, I, I learned a ton. I didn't know anything about sales. So I learned about sales and in that process, um, I just learned ways that I could relate with people that I hadn't known previously. So I just observed all the other people that started that were new and their different ways of approaching things. And I like to follow my curiosity and develop relationships. And um, so that was something that was new to me at the time. And I, I think the thing I didn't know then, but I know now is I really enjoy the experimentation process, mm -hmm. just trying a bunch of different things because you never know what's going to work and you never know what you're going to come across that you could have never imagined for yourself. Right. I love that. And I think that that's super important because I think so many times, like we all get scared of the unknown, of not knowing what's going to happen. Do we have enough knowledge in order to do it? But I love the fact that you said that you're willing to experiment and just see what happens, right? Yeah. And I think anything is learnable. You know, you can have resources there. You can learn from books. You can learn from other people. I think the best teacher is experience. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was just very... I don't know, maybe naive is the word. <laughs> Some people might call it brave, but I just thought I could figure this out. <laughs> but you know what? That's a great thing because you didn't really have any mental constraints, right? Like you were just like, oh, okay, I can do this. You just went for it. And whether it, it succeeded or didn't, at least you gave it a shot, right? Yes, yes, exactly. That's awesome. So you had seven careers. That's pretty incredible. And let's kind of unpack that a little bit. So how did they all kind of come about? Did one career lead to the next? Were they kind of like one-offs? How did that happen? I think all of them, with the exception of becoming a product manager, which I was really intentional about, just happened accidentally. So as an art teacher, that was before I had children, I started out as an admin at the um, at a museum that offered classes. And then they had a position for assistant art teacher. 
So I applied for that. And then eventually I had my own classes. So I was teaching art to children and I had a bit of an art background. And so that kind of happened accidentally. Um, and then I had my children and I was a stay-at-home mom. And then, um, well, and then you heard about the financial advisor okay. and then the insurance brokerage, what happened there was this was the 2008 crash uh, when I, um, yeah. So when I joined as a financial advisor is January, 2008, then the crash happened. So people were still buying insurance, but not so much the investments. Right. So I switched to insurance. And so that, I mean, that was something totally unplanned. If you would have asked me as a kid, if I ever thought I'd sell insurance, like no way, <laughs> but I, I kind of, um, well, I like the idea of having a new business model well, to me I thought it was a new business model but also a friend of mine had gotten diagnosed with cancer and he didn't have insurance and then he ended up getting depressed and lost his job and I just thought if he had even just a little bit of money it might have helped get over the kind of mental shock right. um, so I I felt very mission driven with my brokerage and I was naive enough to believe that I could change the insurance industry. Um, and then when I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock, I made the tough decision to leave the operations of that business behind. And then I joined an insurance technology startup. And so that's where I went in on the marketing side of things because I used Twitter to grow my business in my insurance brokerage. So I kind of accidentally became a director of marketing. And then I really liked the technology side of things and a position came up for it's an entrepreneur, but it was called senior manager of business innovation. And that came about because one of my former employees who was a financial advisor, she saw the ad and the ad was Say, describing the type of person they wanted, not necessarily like what job title or experience. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh my gosh, Michelle, that sounds just like you. You have to check this out. So that's how um, I became sort of an entrepreneur. It's kind of a hybrid with a product manager. Um, but I happened to be getting my master's at the time, working on researching the gig economy, which is the gig economy is like um, Uber and Fiverr and those kind of work marketplaces. And so in my job interview, uh, my who became my manager, she said, the next step is to pitch an idea. So I said, oh, can I pitch an idea now? And she was thinking for the next interview. And I had this idea to build uh, a gig economy marketplace for the bank so that business owners of the bank could offer tasks for new customers to attract new customers to get work. And um, yeah, so that, so I kind of got that job. I feel like accidentally yeah. <laughs> or serendipitously maybe. And then I don't know if you want me to keep going or if you want me Please. to pause. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just curious because you have all of these careers and some are related, some not so much. I'm curious about the journey and then how, how it unfolded. So then uh, with the entrepreneur job. So a lot of times when you're brand new or brand new team to a company, um, you know, it may or may not work out. So a lot of my career transitions 
Unfortunately, I've gotten laid off three times because I'm in high risk teams. So teams that are new teams that are part of innovation. And so I ended up getting laid off and upon reflection, I felt like I wasn't a good communicator with the website developers, the software developers, and I wanted to learn how to speak their language. I wanted to be in the tech space. So I ended up doing a web development bootcamp and learning JavaScript and Ruby on Rails and um, databases and things like that. It was was supposed to be a 10-week program, but I got held back because I had zero coding experience. (laughs) You had to start from super scratch, right? (laughs) Yeah. So the 10-week program was a 14-week program for me, but I got through it and it did help me a lot with communicating with developers. Has it become easier as you've reinvented yourself several <laughs> <No>. times? <laughs> Not at all. No. So right now I'm in this space of trying to figure out what my next step is. And yeah, it's it's been hard every time, <laughs> but... I, I, so what I'm trying to do this time is enjoy the process and the journey more and not be so focused on the outcome. So I think what was stressful before was, well, getting laid off is really stressful. One of the jobs I left on my own, but anytime you have a job transition, it's very emotional, especially because our identities are so tied to our work and, and then the unknown of what to do next especially if you decide you want to do something completely different. When I left the insurance business altogether, I I just, my heart wasn't in that industry anymore. After banking, I just, I wanted to kind of move away from finances. And so um, far, the pharma industry, healthcare seemed really interesting to me. Um, and then with these product manager type roles, being in a startup environment, It's just, again, my heart's not there. So I'm in this space of the unknown. It's really uncomfortable, but I'm trying to trust that I'll get there. And something that helped me a lot was um, my coach said to me um, when I was really frustrated and feeling down on myself, he said, you've been successful at everything you ever did. And I was just like, what? I know I failed my insurance business. I failed as a director of marketing. I failed as a product manager. And then he helped me reframe it. And the thing is, is we set the bar for ourselves oftentimes really high, or we have a very well-defined outcome that we're striving for. And then anything outside of that, we tell ourselves is a failure. But if you look at what you did and what you learned. Like for me, I learned so much in every single job and all of those skills made me who I am today, gave me the experience today, um, enables me to have the insights I have to be able to do micro coaching and to draw my business illustration concepts and, and all of that. And so that's another thing I'm trying to remind myself is celebrate the successes, no matter how small they are. And just have a gratitude for that. I love that. You also invested in yourself for personal development. When you talked about taking that 10 slash 14 week course to be able to better communicate with the developers, you have that willingness 
to say, hold on, there's a missing piece here. Let me figure it out. Let me see how I can better communicate with the team. So that is a win as well, as far as acknowledging and being aware that, okay, I need to enhance my communication skills. I love what you said about having this well-defined outcome. And if we don't fall into that well-defined outcome, if it doesn't result in that, then it's considered a failure and it's not. It really isn't. I love that. What would you say has been your favorite me bet or your favorite experience where you bet on yourself? So I got a master's in communications and technology. And at the time, I hadn't thought that I would go to graduate school. So I'm the first in my family on both sides to go to college. And um, I got a history degree because they changed my major seven times my first two years. Um, So (laughs) like everything has a history. I'll just get a a history degree. And then a friend of mine said, I'm thinking about doing this program and I think you'd be interested in it. And I looked at the curriculum and with all of the other subjects that I tried to major in, just none of them really resonated, but this one felt like it was designed especially for me Uh and it's multidisciplinary. I'm fascinated by communications. I think because of my background with, um, uh, being raised by a Korean mother and, you know, just being fascinated by communications and then um, being drawn to technology. And so I immediately that night I applied. And after I filled out the application, I realized I missed the application deadline. And I looked up everybody who was associated with the program and I sent them all an email, like the professors, the administrators, whoever. And I said, please, please can I submit my application and um, I just found out about this program today. And so then they reached out to me and said, we had a glitch with our system. So we extended our deadline. So then I, yeah, I got the acceptance letter a couple months later and I thought, well, I guess I'm going to school. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is where you started to build a framework for your micro coaching program, Unstuck in 15. That yeah, we started to come together. Some of the concepts from Unstuck in 15 is rooted in what I learned in my master's program. And so Unstuck in 15 came from a tweet idea. That's the <laughs> origination. It's a 15-minute session where I ask three questions to help people get unstuck. And you could be unstuck, you could be stuck on anything. It could be a career decision, you know, should I start my own business, a relationship decision, something to do with your work. Um, I even had a guy who, uh, he couldn't decide what color to make his Porsche. (laughs) So so anytime you feel stuck, uh, (laughs) and what it is, my original hypothesis was that there was a list of questions that can get anybody unstuck. And I was also inspired by Hal Griegerson's book, questions are the answer. So I, I just, um, I think being curious and asking questions can just be a powerful tool in life. And what I've since learned is it's not necessarily a list of questions, but I've uncovered five categories of questions within those categories. You can get specific on the types of questions. 
but um, I can go into those categories if you'd like. Or... Yeah, you can talk about those briefly because I'm really curious because you don't actually tell people what the answer is. Like you didn't tell that guy, okay, paint the Porsche red or black. You help him to come to the decision on his own, basically. Is that exactly, okay. exactly. I don't have to know the details. I don't have to know the players. I don't have to know anything. I just have to be able to... Um, listen really well enough to be able to ask questions to help people get to their next step. So they may or may not come to a decision, but they'll have confidence in their next step. So the categories are um, widening the lens is the first category. So a lot of times people are stuck because they're trying to force an outcome with one solution, or they only have two solutions in mind. So widening the lens is, which is something I learned from my master's degree is um, looking at all of the options available to you. So yeah, a lot of times you're just thinking option A, option B, but there might be option E or F. And then the next category is getting more details. So uh, getting more data or information. A lot of times people are stuck because they just don't have enough information to make an informed decision. So I'll listen for some clues um, on that. And then I may ask for more information. The third category is typically people have thought through all of their options. They, they've overthought it. They've thought about all the details. Mm -hmm. They're still stuck. And it could be because they haven't thought about the risks of each of the options. And so once they start articulating the risk, they'll come up with their own risk mitigation strategies. And then the fourth category is external pressure. So sometimes they're really drawn to an option, but it's a, a parent, a spouse, a boss, an investor, somebody who disagrees with their decision or is trying to steer them. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll, I might ask a question like, um, what are all of the things getting in the way of you doing what you know you want to do? Ah. Uh, that usually stops people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they really have to dig deep and think about that. Okay. All right. And what's the fifth one? The fifth category? And the fifth category is internal factors. Mm. So you've thought through everything and you know your next step and there isn't anybody stopping you or getting in your way. And it's um, oftentimes the question will be around like, what are all of the ways you can get confidence in your next step? Because uh, yeah, I'd say a lot of times we get in our own way. Yeah. Journey. I love that concept. I love the fact that it is 15 minutes and you ask these three questions to really get to the heart of the matter and help people to try to become unstuck. Yeah. And the 15 minutes, interestingly enough, is key. So when I first came up with the tweet, I just said I, that I'd book a 15 minute call because mm -hmm. I didn't know how many people would be interested. And then I've, um, if I go over the 15 minutes, it for some reason doesn't work, but I think it's having the question constraint and the time constraint forces high quality questions. And it forces me to not overthink it. It forces the other person to not overthink it. So I try to advance the conversation and I'll offer some solutions as well to, for people to think about, but, um, that 15 minutes is really key. And I think sometimes that's all people need. And it also, uh, forces the other person to not spend too much time on one question. And, and so having the time constraint really 
helps facilitate this process. Oh, that's good. And so you originally tested it out on Twitter. Is that how it, it started? So it was a, a tweet idea and I don't know really where it came from, but I, I just thought, I bet I can get anybody unstuck in 15 minutes with three mm-hmm. questions. I posted it. And if nobody responded, like I, this wouldn't be a thing, but four people responded. I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, and so, yeah, from there it just evolved and I've tried to kill it a couple of times. And then anytime I think, oh, I should shelve this, then somehow somebody's reaching out to me, asking me about it or booking a session. <laughs> so I just want to keep going with it, follow my curiosity and see what happens. Yeah, I think you should. What business challenge or what challenge have you encountered that has taught you the most about yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that, so oh, this is going to make me tear up. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> what taught me the most about myself was when I had my insurance brokerage and um, the economy tanked and mm. I was going through my divorce and I uh, ended up um, facing food scarcity and I thought I need to get business and I don't know what to do, but get in front of people. So I was going door to door and it was February, like minus 17 degrees Celsius outside. I was sitting in my car and, um, it was a car that was like a $500 car because I didn't, it's like a long story, but anyway, and I was crying. And then I was like, okay, time to wipe your tears. You know, we've got a job to do. And um, would push through that fear I mean, going door to door is really scary. Yeah. <laughs> the worst that happens is people yell at you. So, <laughs> so uh, but they didn't yell at me because it was so cold out. <laughs> um, but then I, what I learned from that is I am capable of more than I believe. Mm, I love that. I think that's probably a very telling part in your story. Because it goes back to what you were saying earlier, which is when you have this well-defined outcome and if it doesn't happen and you think it's a failure, but at the same time, you're still learning as you, as you're going through the process. So you learn that you are truly more capable than what you thought you were. That's, that's beautiful. Would you consider that that's something that you're the most proud of in the sense of, I know it was a difficult time for you, but you uncovered something really intense and special about yourself at the same time while you're going through that. Or is there another time in your life that you're like, I'm really the most proud of this particular situation, this particular bet on myself, this particular experience. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the word proud, because I, I feel like I, I have these hurdles, I overcome them and I kind of dismiss them, which mm. is unfortunate. And I think being proud is being grateful and it's, it's a good reminder. And I, I can sometimes forget that. And cause you're just striving like, yeah. What, and then I heard somebody say once, remember when you wish you were where you are today. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have even dreamed of my life you know, back when I was in high school or even 10 years ago, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
What does success feel like to you? For me, it used to be tangible things. So when I had my insurance brokerage, I wanted to generate 5 million in revenue in five years. I wanted to have the systems in place so that it was worth four times revenue. So I'd be worth $20 million, whatever reason that number came up. I think it was probably financial security I was looking for. Then um, I let go of kind of the monetary thing. I just, um, through a lot of growth and I did a 10 day silent meditation course and uh, I just didn't want the things that I thought I wanted that needed money to, to buy it. So my definition of success changed um, and what it's evolved to now, success for me would be expanding my capacity to love myself because I can be really unkind to myself. I believe that when you have love and gratitude for yourself, your capacity to love others grows as well. So success is loving myself and others, showing kindness and being intentional in everything I do. And it's, you know, constant daily reminders for that. But I do feel like I'm successful now insofar as I have my health, I have my family, I have the financial security I need to, you know, get my needs met today and in the future. And success, I think, would be to to be content. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm working on it. <laughs> right. I think the idea of what success means evolves dependent upon what season you're in, in your life. Right. And that feeling of success, I think also evolves too, along with the tangible things that go along with that. What do you do, if anything, to prevent burnout? Oh God, (laughs) (laughs) I have all these strategies because I've been burnt out three times. So I actually, um, the first time I had major burnout, I was on disability for three months. So I've, I've got my, like, um, I try to have an awareness of how I'm feeling and, um, indicators that I may be stressed. So one indicator is I'll misuse certain words like, uh, there and there I might use T H E R E instead of T H E I R. And when I see that in my writing, I'm like, okay, I'm at a high level of stress because it's not a normal thing I would do. Right. And so I have a yoga practice. I write, I meditate, I draw, um, and I have degrees of where I would implement a practice depending on how stressed I am. Mm. So if I get more warning signals, so more migraines, more physical pain, things like that, I need to take things off my plate. I might need to book an appointment with my therapist um, and have more intervention, but trying to maintain a daily practice has been a challenge for me. So last year, my intention for the year was to learn how to exercise for the sake of exercise. So I experimented, tried all these different things and finally figured it out. So now I look forward to um, doing the activities that I do. And is that 
what necessitated the marathon idea kind of came about when you were incorporating regular exercise practices and you said, I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was not a runner before as a kid, I was the slowest, always last hated running. I tried it as an adult, did not like it. Didn't yeah. like before, during, or after <laughs> uh, I would exercise for a weight loss goal, reach the goal and then stop exercising. So then I started out with figuring out like, what did I like doing as a kid? I liked doing cartwheels in the yard. So yoga became my, um, doing cartwheels. And then I was keeping my commitment to myself to go to the yoga classes and to book them in advance, but I was booking over my running and wow. cardio thing. So then I wanted to figure out how to learn to enjoy running and, um, and what happened was um, my ex, um, the father of my children passed away last September and he was an ultra marathoner and I wanted to write an ebook um, to help support his mom. So I've been interviewing ultra marathoners and one guy had never run before mm -hmm. and decided he wanted to be an ultra marathoner. And I was like, oh, wow. how do you do that? And he said, um, he just reached out to a local guy who said, meet me at this coffee shop on Sunday, bring your running shoes. And he ran 13 kilometers that day. And wow. I was like, I, I don't like, you have to unpack this for me. And he said, basically, um, he was engrossed in the, their conversation, lost track of time. He didn't have a destination, a time and outcome that he was thinking about. He was just being fully present. So then that night I thought, I wonder how long I could run if I just went out and enjoyed being outside. I ended up running 13 K that day. It took oh, me two wow. hours. <laughs> Doesn't matter the time you did yeah, it. But I, I did <laughs> it. Awesome. Congratulations. I, <laughs> you. I really liked it. So I, I just thought in, um, my children's father's memory, I'd like to run a marathon. So I've been training for it and I, I've been enjoying it. I look yeah. forward to it. I never thought in a million years I'd see a hill and be like, Oh, I can't wait to run up that hill. Like, Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. It also has a special emotional attachment, a special meaning for you as well. Wow. That, that's great. What advice would you give to someone who wanted to bet on themselves, but is too afraid or doesn't know where to start? I think if you think of the worst case scenario, the worst, 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 worst case scenario, maybe you spend time, maybe you spend money, but in that, what is also the best case scenario? You learn something you didn't know before. You meet people you wouldn't have met before. You come across opportunities you would have never dreamed of. You know, like if you think of the absolute worst case scenario, I mean, chances are you're not going to die from taking a bet on yourself. <laughs> so, you know, and, and maybe it's a reputation risk, but even unpacking that, I think, um, um, is a way to, to kind of reframe it for yourself. And then I think as far as how to get started, break it down into small steps, look at what's missing. So where do you want to be? Where are you now? What's missing in between here and there? Uh, what do you need to learn? Who do you need to talk to? What do you need to try? And you can time box your experiments and your learning and say, you know, I'm going to spend a month on this or a week on that. 
and, and then see what you learned and then what your next step is. And I think like holding yourself back from what your soul is asking you to do is just a recipe to invite stress and disharmony and unhappiness in your life. Mm -hmm. So the reason you have the idea for doing something new is because your soul is trying to speak to you and trying to get fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what those nudges are coming for. But from, but then we have our survival brain and the whole purpose of our survival brain is to keep us comfortable. And when you look at what's the worst that happens that you're uncomfortable, like being uncomfortable, there's, there's no discomfort that's permanent, no matter what it is, you know, it, it may be uncomfortable for a while. It'll kind of come and go in waves, but push through that discomfort and try to find little baby steps to make it slightly less uncomfortable if you need to. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And also trust yourself that you can figure it out because where you are today, if you look back the past five, 10 years, two years, like you didn't know those things, but you figured it out and you will figure it out in the future. Right. Right. That's wonderful. So Mish, tell us, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about you and support you? Do you have slots open for Unstuck in 15? Are you taking new clients for that? Yes, I do. You can go to unstuckin15.com and uh, book a session directly there. If there aren't any times available, you can reach out to me. I can be found on Twitter at Mish Priest. We want to make sure that people know how to contact you. And for those folks who are just trying to figure out how to do these me bets, bet on themselves, step outside of their comfort zone a little bit. If they need some assistance, they can book a 15 minute session with you and and try to get unstuck and figure out those next steps. Yes. Yes. Great. Awesome. I've enjoyed our conversation. It has been wonderful. I've learned a lot and you've also reinforced some other things as far as trusting yourself. Cause like you said, what's the worst that can happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for putting together this podcast. I think it'll be really impactful for a lot of people. Thank you so much. I enjoyed my conversation with Mish. Here are three takeaways. Embrace the experimentation process by trying a bunch of things because you never know what's going to work. Experience is the best teacher. Celebrate the successes no matter how small they are. And finally, reframe your failures by looking at what you did and what you learned. You didn't fail, but you gained experience and learned new skills. That's it for today. Join me, your host, Erica Johnson, next week on the MeBet Podcast with another amazing guest.